We continue our series in our Lenten time as we prepare coming up to the death of Christ. And we're drawing closer now in that storyline. We follow and trace some of the events that lead up to that. There are so many things that happen, we can't possibly do them all. And so every year we try to do something a little different. Uh, so you learn more and more as time goes by. And me too, I'm learning too. Our text today will be in John chapter 18 and 19 as we continue the story of what happened to Jesus. And we'll be looking at a couple of other texts along with that today. The dictionary gives a plain and simple meaning of the word political as concerning or engaged in government. And through the years, noble men have served in government with very great success. At Christmas time, we sing an old Christmas carol about good King Wenceslaus, who was the king of Bohemia, whose noble character we sing about that sought out and blessed the poor people of Bohemia. In our own country, we look back on people like George Washington as a man of noble character who served as the first president of these United States, man of high moral character who led our nation selflessly and set a high standard for others to live up to. Others, of course, have served well. John Adams, Abraham Lincoln, who died in the service of his country. John Kennedy, who said, Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. But there is another definition in the dictionary for the word politics. And that definition is much more the one we use when referring to politics. The definition, that other definition is this, factional scheming for power. <laughs> and when we talk about politics, we often refer to it in that negative definition. And so in order to separate noblemen from others, we for our purposes here this morning might add an adjective to it. And we'll call it today dirty politics. Politics is usually based around differences of opinion. The idea behind American politics is that groups of people can hold different opinions and express those differences, and the people will vote, and with a majority will decide which group will be given the political power. In the founding of our nation, it was assumed that people could disagree and still have respect for each other. However, human nature, being what it is, often changes all that. And dirty politics is driven by men who hunger and thirst for power. And although it's often true that money has a negative effect on politics, there are people who will go to any length to get power and then go even further to hold on to the power that they have. So that they will use whatever they can to destroy a political opponent. Ideas like this. Tell the people what they want to hear. 
Express one opinion today and the opposite the next day. Whatever is convenient. You've heard that old joke. I think Ben Franklin was the first one who wrote it down. He said, how do you tell when a politician is lying? And the answer he gave you, you see his mouth moving. <laughs> Dirty politics will never be consistent. It always changes with the political winds. History has known desperate men who will stoop to bribery and lying and even more desperate measures. After all, good King Wenceslaus was murdered by his own brother. So it is with dirty politics. It often knows no limits as it goes about to destroy opponents in order to preserve its own power. The Bible is full of such stories as that. The contest between Pharaoh and Moses. The conflict between King Saul and a shepherd boy named David. In the New Testament, King Herod, who murdered the children of Bethlehem in an attempt to destroy his political opponents. As we continue our Lenten studies, leading us to Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we saw last week after the Last Supper that Jesus went up to the Garden of Gethsemane up on the Mount of Olives to pray. And there a group of temple police and representatives from the Jewish leadership at about 3 a.m. on Friday morning, led by Judas Iscariot, arrested Jesus and took him into custody, tying his hands and leading him away. And now, as we read our text, we're about to see the dirtiest politics ever in the history of this world. Jesus will first be led to the house of a man named Annas, and then to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. Everything is done in a very hurried way. It's in the middle of the night, in the wee hours of the morning, the Jewish leaders will hold a sham of a trial. The Sanhedrin, the political group that's in charge at the temple, puts Jesus on trial. Long before the trial, a couple of weeks before, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, the Bible tells us that they held a special meeting. Listen to the meeting. They gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees in a council and said, What do we do? For this man doeth many miracles. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. And one of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest the same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all, nor consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, that the whole nation perish not. There it is. Political power. The idea behind it, the Romans had invaded and were now controlling Israel. Caesar had his own governor to rule over Israel. At that time, he was named Pontius Pilate. The Romans allowed the Jews to have their own government, a 70-member council called the Sanhedrin. They were there allowed to exist to handle local matters and religious matters. 
But the Roman governor held for himself the power to tax and the power of capital punishment. It was also the Roman governor's job, straight from Rome, to keep the peace in order to keep the flow of tax money coming into Rome. So the Romans allowed the Sanhedrin to exist, and we are told that those Jewish leaders kept themselves in power by paying large bribes to the Roman officials. Now, when Jesus had become wildly popular among the people, his miracles made him famous. The Jewish leaders said, if we let him continue, the people will support him. We will lose our place, or that is our political power. And the Romans will say, the balance of power has shifted from you over to Jesus, and we will lose our political power. So there's only one way to hold on to our power, kill Jesus. So on that first Good Friday morning, when they arrested Jesus in the middle of the night, they held a trial, already decided that Jesus must die. So they let Jesus off the Pilate, because only Pilate could give a death sentence. And Pilate at first simply refused to hear the case, sent Jesus off to Herod. In that little trial, Jesus refused to speak to Herod. So Herod dressed him in a special white robe, which was a robe worn by someone who was a candidate for office. It was a joke. And he sent him back to Pilate for a little joke. Hey, look at this Jesus. He's running for office. And he sent Jesus back to Pilate saying, I defer to your judgment. So now the Jewish leaders bring Jesus back to Pilate and ask that Pilate will try the case. Now, my friends, Pilate is no fool. His appointment as governor came from Caesar himself. Several other men had also served as governors over Judea in the past, only to be recalled because these Jews were so hot-headed and hard to handle that they were always causing an uproar and a riot. So Pilate came to Jerusalem this day on Passover. Now he claimed to be there to celebrate the holiday with the Jews He could care less about Passover. He was there with a whole bunch of Roman soldiers with him to keep the peace and squash any rebellion that came up. And he had done it before. One of the group of men had rebelled and started a little rebellion before and it says that they went into the temple to make a sacrifice. Pilate sent soldiers into the temple after them, and the Bible says Pilate mingled their blood with the blood of their sacrifices. Pilate had them murdered right there in the temple. He could be vicious and cruel. So now he is called upon to hear the case of Jesus of Nazareth. John chapter 18 now for our text. 
John chapter 18, beginning in verse number 29. Pilate then went unto them and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? And they answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up to thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him, judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Pilate says, I don't want it. You take him and you try him. They say, but we can't put him to death. And the charge is, he claims to be the king of the Jews. Verse 33. Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? I own nation, and the chief priests have delivered me thou unto me. What hast thou done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, and I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from thence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end I was born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews, and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Pilate is so used to dirty politics that he says to Jesus, what is truth? In politics, the truth changes. Whatever is convenient is what we say. We don't go by truth. A pilot knows something. The Bible says he knew that they delivered Jesus to him because of envy or they were jealous of Jesus Pilate knew that Jesus was popular with the people the Jewish leaders were not Jesus could draw a crowd anywhere the Jewish leaders could not Jesus rode onto town, into town the last Sunday on a donkey amidst a cheering crowd they did not And Pilate knew that they were jealous of Jesus. And he also knew this Jesus is no threat to Rome. Jesus had no political ambition. So Pilate goes out and says, I find no fault to him. So my plan is this. I will release him. I will give him an official pardon. Something that Pilate did at every Passover to keep the people happy. So now the political battle begins. The Jews are ready to fight the political battle with Pilate. They planned it already. And they answer him, we don't want Jesus pardoned. We want Barabbas. The Bible says that Barabbas was sort of a Robin Hood. He robbed people. He was a criminal. He struggled against the Romans. He had been arrested and tried, and that day, that Friday, 
Barabbas was to be crucified. So the Jews said, release Barabbas. Pardon Barabbas. Pilate said, what will I do with Jesus? And that was their chance. Crucify him. So his first attempt to release Jesus failed. He will try again. Chapter 19. Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Soldiers planted a crowd of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe. Said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said unto them, Behold the man. Pilate thinks that they are jealous of Jesus. So he has them whipped. It's a vicious act. Now Jesus all bloody all over and cut from the whipping. And wearing a crown of thorns is brought before the people. And Pilate hopes in his own strange way that the whipping... And the blood all over Jesus will satisfy them. He underestimated his opponents. He underestimated their hatred. Soon as they see him, they cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate says, I find no fault in him. In verse number seven. The Jews answered him, we have a law. By our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, the Bible says that Pilate was afraid when he heard that. And now he goes back to question Jesus and says to him, who are you? Who are you? Jesus answered like this. He said, they hate me. So their sin is worse than yours. That's quite a thing to say. So Pilate thinks, I got to release this man. Verse 12, from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever make himself a king, speaketh against Caesar. There, the political cleverness of the Jews, they have hit the nerve. Pilate has one fear, that Caesar will find out there was trouble, and Pilate will be recalled and removed from office. And Pilate says, shall I crucify the king of the Jews? And they scream, we have no king but Caesar. Now what Pilate did next was a very clever political move on his part. Very clever. I'm reading from Matthew chapter number 27. Listen to what Pilate does. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water, washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. 
See you to it. Now, washing hands wasn't a Roman move at all. It was a very Jewish thing to do. And he uses their own Jewish laws against them in this political battle. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, we have a description of this law. Moses gave instructions like this. He said, if you find a man laying out in the field who's been murdered, and you have no idea who committed that murder, and then the elders of the people are to gather together and make a sacrifice of a young heifer. And here's how it works. When you find that man and you don't know how he was murdered. Listen to what he says. And all the elders of that city that are next unto the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer. They shall answer it and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Be merciful, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed, and lay not innocent blood to thy people of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven them. So thou shalt put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you when thou shalt do what is right in the sight of the Lord. It's very specific. The rule is this. Number one, wash your hands over top of that sacrifice. Number two, you are to say a prayer. Here's the prayer. God Please do not charge us with shedding innocent blood. We found this man. We don't know who murdered him. So we ask you to save Israel from innocent blood. Now Pilate, referring back to this ancient law, does step number one. He washes his hands. Next, They're supposed to pray the prayer, deliver Israel from innocent blood. That's the two parts of the law. So Pilate says, Jesus is innocent. I did step number one. I washed my hands. You do step number two and pray for innocent blood. And then Pilate says, I'm innocent. You see to it. Four words. You see to it. These priests who are trying to get Jesus crucified, less than one hour before this, back in the temple were suddenly surprised when Judas Iscariot came running into the temple and he cried out in desperation, I have sinned, I have betrayed innocent blood and he threw the 30 pieces of silver across the marble floors of the temple 
And they answered Judas Iscariot with these words in the temple, We don't care about innocent blood. You see to it. And now in the very same words, Pilate turns the guilt back onto them. He said, I am innocent of this blood. You see to it. They give a chilling answer back to Pilate. They answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Wow. His blood be on us and on our children. We'll take the blame. Just kill him. And they begin to shout over and over, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate, now he's afraid of a riot. Give sentence, okay, go ahead, crucify him. So it was the human race murdered God's son. God took a human form was born into Bethlehem's manger. He went about doing good, teaching the truth, healing the sick, raising the dead. He was showing the love of God to everybody he met. But for jealousy and political power, the human race fell into its lowest and most dastardly deeds of all time and murdered the only man that was ever truly innocent, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. It was 9 o'clock on Friday morning. In six hours, they had arrested him, tried him in three different courts, and convicted him and sentenced him to die. Now, the Jewish law was very specific. It said that if an accused man had two witnesses that could testify to his innocence. He was to be declared not guilty and released. Jesus had two witnesses. Judas Iscariot, he said, I have betrayed innocent blood and Pontius Pilate. I'm not guilty of this man's innocent blood. Now, my friends... If a man kills himself, we call it suicide. If a man kills another man, we call it homicide. But when men kill God, it's called deicide. That, my friends, is a very dark and depressing thing, is it not? But listen very carefully, my friend. Dirty politics that led to murder. I'm here to tell you there's more to it than that. God sent his son to earth to be a willing sacrifice 
He sent him here to die for our sins. And Jesus agreed to do so. And Jesus himself said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down. And just when you thought men were in charge and dirty politics were at their worst, Understand this, behind all the actions of evil men, God was still in control, and God was still on his throne, and God was moving and directing the affairs of men. The death of Jesus was God's plan from the very beginning. It doesn't excuse dirty politics, but you can rest assured there's nothing men can do to remove God from power. And above the strife and the confusion of politics, God reigns supreme. So we pray what we were taught to pray, that whatever happens, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Next week, we will look at Jesus as he is crucified. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you did for us. And down in our hearts, we believe in you. We know that you are infinitely wise. So come to us and help us. We trust that you are in control above all things. We ask that you will now teach us to trust you, never to be moved by evil men away from God. Bless us, Lord, as we trust in you. Open our hearts to receive the things that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, I'd like you to turn in your hymn books, if you will, to page number 161. Page number 161. Page 161, stand together with us. If you would, only believe. Page 161.
asking Levi, if he would, to close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we are ever grateful that we can trust in you. You have walked the pathway for us before. You select every pathway that we must walk. We are grateful especially that you have done this great, mighty deed, this terrible thing that was done, the crucifying of the Son of God. Mankind has done their worst, and you have meant it for the best. You have done a mighty thing. You have raised up from the dead. You have brought new life, if we only believe. We are thankful that you have done this and given us a chance and a hope. We, may we always have hope in you and know this is the greatest story ever told. And though the, the politicians did all their worst, that you did all your best and had, did amazing things for us. We are grateful for these things and we ask for protection. And all of these folks in this place here today and throughout all of the towns around us, watch over them, be in the homes of these people, protect them, bring them back to us. And may your spirit be with them and speak to them, we pray. In your name, amen. Amen.